0: Here's a message from today's episode's sponsor. My name's Steve Mackey, I'm the owner pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the western mountains of Maine, we're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail, Pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RX Safe Rapid Pack Script Packaging Program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack Fill Packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in, and I was over. The moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories.
1: This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Banasarami, Sarami, your host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the most amazing, largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. I know this is not the first time you're listening, but if you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm a pharmacogenomics medical science liaison Focus on creating clinical content and educating clinicians on the value of PGX and giving clinical guidance for better patient outcome, because this is how we're going to move PGX forward. Also want to pro, also provide personalized mentorship for pharmacists that want to create their PGX career path. Let's talk about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or EDS. What is that? It's an inherited genetic disorder that affects the connective tissues like your skin, joints, and blood vessels. Remember, connective tissue is what provides a strength and elasticity to the underlying structures in the body. So you can imagine people who have this genetic disorder can have very flexible joints and stretchy, fragile skin. So this becomes a problem, for example, when stitching is involved. So you have an accident, you tear your skin, you need stitches, but your skin isn't strong enough to hold the stitches. It can also cause painful joints. So what is the cause of that? It's mutations in at least 20 different genes. So why am I talking about this in this podcast? It has a lot to do with my guest that I'm have on the show, Camille Schreier, Miss America 2020. She's currently pursuing her pharmacy degree at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. She completed a dual bachelor of science degree in biochemistry and systems biology. Camille blew up the stage uh, on stage talent competition with highly engaging and entertaining version of the catalytic decomposition of hydrogen peroxide. OK, let me repeat that catalytic decomposition of hydrogen peroxide. We might have to have her explain that. And that won her Miss Virginia in June 2019 and then Miss America in December 2019 live on NBC. While competing for the job, Camille wanted known that Miss America can be a scientist and a scientist can be Miss America. I love that. So you can imagine she became viral sensation, approached by several Fortune 50 companies. She created um, has created a legacy for herself in a very short time. She's not only the first woman to win the title using science as a talent, but also the only Miss America to speak in the General Assembly of the UN, to become grounded by global pandemic and to be asked to serve for two full years as a direct result of COVID-19. Since then, Camille has focused on advocating for her social initiative that's called Mind Your Meds, Drug Safety and Abuse Prevention from Pediatrics to Geriatrics, which is a major focus on the opioid epidemic, as well as for exciting youth in the area of STEM. Just last year, Camille launched her own science education brand called Her Royal Scientist, which furthers her goal to inspire and educate youth and normalize females in science roles. She also works to raise awareness of the genetic condition that impacts her life, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome that I mentioned earlier. So thank you, Camille, for coming on the show. I'm delighted to have you. I know listeners are excited about this podcast to come out and hear your story And I have to say, I'm so grateful that you're using the platform you're given in so many positive ways. I appreciate that. um, And I know our listeners are too.
3: Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be able to talk about all of this. Clearly, I've had quite an interesting journey, both in my academic life and my personal life. And gosh, it's given me such incredible opportunities to be able to do a lot more than I ever expected to uh, at a young age. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, we appreciate you. So, um,
2: well, first off, I know you, this question has been asked a lot probably, but uh, can you tell us about why you decided to enter Miss America?
3: This is actually a really funny question because I never thought that I would do this. So I wasn't the little girl that grew up doing pageants. There's this stereotype that people, I think, you know, assume that I did this my entire life. I did a couple pageants when I was in high school. And um, the thing is, they really helped me to to kind of break out of my shell. I was kind of a quiet kid. I really wanted to keep to myself and kind of like do academic things. That was kind of who I was. And they helped me kind of break out of my comfort zone and learn how to communicate and talk to people that I didn't know and how to interview at like age 15. So I started doing them about the age uh, 15, 16, and then continued to do them until I went to college. And then I'm kind of like a I'm a pretty focused academic person, And so I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to college now. I don't need to do this anymore. And I never did any like serious pageants, ones that kind of r- really helped shape me as a young woman. But Miss America is that one that everyone, if you know if you have a crown on your head, everyone's going to ask you, Are you Miss America? Because that's the one that everyone knows. And it's been around for <laughs> literally a hundred years. In two thousand and twenty one, the program turned one hundred years old. Wow, so it's a cultural icon in America. And I never imagined that I could be a part of it for a lot of reasons. One was the focus on the, the body part that, it, that really, in my opinion, came from the swimsuit competition and putting a lot of, I think, negative pressure on young women to look a certain way uh, and behave in a certain way that I didn't necessarily feel aligned with who I was. And secondly, there was a talent competition and I'm not someone that has a traditional fine arts like performing talent or any kind of those typical performing talents that we would typically see at Miss America. And so I kind of counted myself out of it, but they ended up taking the swimsuit competition away in 2018. And they took away all of the physical judging criteria. And I was really touched by that. And I, I felt like I could see myself as Miss America at that point because I was finally seeing change toward the program going to something that I believed in personally. And I have no problem if if other women wanted to participate the way that it was, it was just not not what I wanted to do. And I saw the scholarship opportunities, Miss America will award, I mean, they make available, I think $5 million a year um, for young women across the country at one point, I don't know if they still are, they were the largest scholarship provider for young women in the the United States. So as someone in, in school, I was like, can I do this? I'm I'm interested in it. Right. I kind of went through some life changes and I was like, I want to do something for myself. Maybe I should now act on this opportunity now that I feel like I could use the scholarships that the program has changed. I feel like I align with it. So to make a very long story short, I saw a Facebook ad. (laughs) my P one year of pharmacy school That's awesome. when I was at lunch and I read it and I, it was in two weeks. It was a local competition that was going to go to Miss Virginia if you won. So you would have to win this to qualify to go to Miss Virginia. And then if you won Miss Virginia, then you get to go to Miss America. So it's a process. Right. And I mean this was a small local competition here in Virginia and I was just like you know what I'm going to give this a go and see how it ends up and I tell my mom and my mom is like what the heck are you going to do for this talent portion and I'm like I'm going to blow stuff up I'm oh going to get chemicals and I'm going to blow stuff up and she's like honestly that's that's awesome like I I w- I'm so glad to hear you say that because I didn't want to go into the category of like trying to sing or trying to dance or do something that wasn't true to who I am. And for those in pharmacy who might be listening or in the medical sciences and aren't familiar with this world, there is this, you know, kind of anomaly that only the talents that you see are like singing, dancing, baton twirling, ventriloquism, and like instrumental talents. There's no rule that you can't do anything else. It's just that no one ever does. And so I decided to really just do this science demonstration that really became more of a science educational entertainment presentation. And that was the catalytic decomposition of hydrogen peroxide. I ordered chemicals online. I got my glassware together. I figured out how to do this. And During the actual demonstration, I'm explaining the science of what is happening. I'm talking about that it's an exothermic reaction, that it's releasing oxygen. And that's why we're seeing bubbles. And what the soap that I'm putting in is doing is trapping that oxygen and creating a foam. And the way that this is a catalytic reaction and what that means, because the goal of it was to utilize my science knowledge as my talent, but also be able to entertain people with it. And I was hoping that people in the competition would be able to see me in a school, right? Talking to kids and spreading my love of science with especially young women. And I think that that is what I did. So uh, I will say it worked. It it did. It sure did. And, you know beware Facebook ads. Like if you're going to act on that, you (laughs) might end up being Miss America. So, uh, of course I did win that local competition and I went to Miss Virginia eight weeks later and I won. And then six months later I won Miss America. So, uh, started with a Facebook ad and, uh, turned into Miss America about eight months later, which was pretty insane.
2: Well, that's awesome. I think I did hear all your story. I don't want to discredit everything I just heard, but I feel like I heard from all that you said more of, I wanted to kind of step outside of my box. And that was the main goal of what I did. And I, and I love it. I think more people need to do that because the talent is there. It just needs to be tapped into. So that was awesome. Thank you. Well, um, okay. So I know, um, we, I talked a little bit about the genetic disorder, but can you in your own words kind of educate us on that since you're educated right here and how you found out and, um, got diagnosed and where you went from there?
3: Oh gosh. Um, so I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I have the hypermobile type and I found out when I was 11 years old, So that was like the early 2000s. And so in terms of the genetic world, as you know very well, we have come light years from the early 2000s in genetic testing and the technology that we have. Um, I was diagnosed by my symptoms by a, it started with a really um, detailed school nurse that picked up a very mild scoliosis in my spine, which wasn't surprising because most of my family members, especially my female family members have scoliosis. So I ended up going to an orthopedic surgeon to manage it. And he immediately recognized based on my physical assessment that I had some sort of a connective tissue disorder happening. I was hypermobile. I was too stretchy. My skin texture was different. Um, and he sent me to a geneticist and I got a diagnosis very quickly of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome based solely off of the symptoms, not off of the genetics, because we didn't have that technology. We only had one genetic test for the vascular type. And to go back, Ehlers-Danlos has, I think, 10 to 12 recognized types, all caused by different mutations of collagen and other proteins. And I didn't have the vascular type based on my symptoms, so I had never been genetically tested. But I knew from that time that I struggled with this. And by my getting diagnosed, I actually was able to help diagnose my mom because she has the disorder. And she was diagnosed at the same time. Kind of by proxy of, okay, it's more than likely that one of your parents has this. So which parent is it? And it was my mom. And it explained 40 years of chronic pain and injuries and surgeries and being misdiagnosed and told that she was a hypochondriac and um, making things up and that she was crazy and dramatic. And she really had gone through a lifetime of pain based on this genetic connective tissue disorder. And so uh-huh. I have an incredible benefit of knowing as a young person to be able to prevent a lot of those injuries and also to be able to advocate for myself as a patient. And I think when we talk about genetics, genetic testing, whether it's pharmacogenetics or if it's just general genetic testing, it gives patients really a a quantitative like ability to say, hey, I have this test result and it says this, and I am not making this up. So you're going to be able to take me seriously and this is going to be able to direct my care in a very streamlined way. And that was the benefit that I had. Um, Now I as an adult I've been able to get that genetic testing and confirm my subtype as being hypermobile EDS. Um, But my my life has looked a little bit different than my peers because I have chronic pain, I have chronic fatigue. It's made it really difficult for me to be a doctor or pharmacy student because I struggle keeping my energy level up, struggling with brain fog. uh, And I had to modify a lot of my physical um, kind of the things that I do physically, whether or not it's exercise or like the requirements that I had in high school with school sports. I couldn't do those things the same way because I would get injured. So I am currently in preventative mode so that I do not injure my body and and hopefully can have some less implications than my mom.
2: Oh, well, that, well, that's great. Do you know how many people are actually out there with this genetic disorder? It's kind of rare, or do we just not know about it?
3: It's underdiagnosed, like you said. Or- this is super interesting because I, and this is, I don't have the actual like source of where this data comes from. So forgive me, oh, but I know fine. that the subtypes that are not hypermobile EDS. So everything but hypermobile are considered rare. So I think that means that they have to be between one in 5,000 and one in 10,000 patients, but hypermobile, the more that we learn about it, the more that we think that it is not really a rare disease. And it could be more like one in 500 patients. And that is because it is so misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. We also don't have Specifically for HEDS, a genetic marker to be able to definitively diagnose it. So, I talked about getting a genetic test done. I figured out that I had HEDS because I ruled out all of the other types. There is no definitive marker yet. And I Mm -hmm. say yet because I have been able to work with this incredible lab at um, the Medical University of South Carolina. It's the Norris lab, and they have a candidate gene for HEDS that could potentially lead us to be able to test for that in patients very easily. Um, and they have, um, actually mostly patients with EDS that work as researchers in their lab. And the one woman is my age and she struggles with HEDS as well. And she did her entire doctoral thesis on this project that they're doing. And it has been so amazing to see a lab dedicated to this disease because it's been so forgotten, I believe in, um, in our medical community, because it, you know, it's not something that typically is um, fatal. It's something that's really just impacting the quality and um, quality of life for patients and, and really can impact their mental health because it is really debilitating at different levels. And that's um, huge. That, but that so in itself to, is huge. Exactly. And I think that often it's like, oh, is this going to kill you? No. So we're going to focus on other things that are more pressing. But when we think about how much this type of a disorder has affected my life every single day. It affects my ability to do certain things, even if I don't recognize it because I've lived with it forever. And if Mm -hmm. we could help patients be able to better understand that and maybe not feel crazy and give them supportive care in whatever way that we can lifestyle changes, um, is it nutritional therapies? What can we do? And If it's one in 500 people, that's a huge impact that we can make. Um, And so I'm very excited to see that that lab um, be able to have found a candidate gene. And I'm anxiously awaiting their paper to be accepted by a journal so that I can read it and understand more. And then hopefully that information can make a difference very soon. Well, yeah, if
2: you want to provide the link to me, I'm happy to put in the show notes so people who are interested to learn more about that, they can go and check that out because we never know who's listening might be like, Oh my gosh, those symptoms relate to me. I wonder that's what I have. And so I appreciate that. So I know when I'm uh, seeing all the amazing Miss America, kind of go back to Miss America, Mm -hmm. Um, it all looks fun and exciting from a viewer's perspective. But I know now that you talked about everything you've been through, that must have been more stressful than normal behind the scene. So kind of can you let us know about your experience there through the mental health challenges I'm sure you've had along Mm -hmm. the years as a teenager and then kind of coming to Miss America and then with everything else going on in your world, um, how this affected you?
3: Yeah, I will tell you. I've done a lot of things in my life. I've you know done two degrees in undergrad. I've done pharmacy school. I think being Miss America was probably one of the most difficult and um, experiences, both mentally and physically, for me, just because of the nature of the job. I mean, pre COVID, so this was really interesting. My biggest fear about becoming Miss America, like, what if I won, was the travel. And I struggle keeping my energy levels up, especially when I'm traveling and on my feet constantly, I have something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So that's called POTS. And I have a lot of fatigue from just like standing because my body is just like struggling to get my blood all throughout my body. And, um, I know that's like TMI, but either way, I, um, (laughs) when I did win, I had to travel, so much and i was like i don't think that i can keep this up for an entire year. We i changed hotels probably every day. I think the average is like 20,000 miles a month that miss america travels. Oh, like wow. 8 to 10 hour days. You are you are the one that has to be on the whole time. It's exhausting. Yeah. And um when covid happened, it was 3 months into my time as miss america. And my whole experience changed within a day. I went from like not coming home to not leaving my home. And in a way, as much as COVID was so difficult for so many of us, it was almost a blessing to me to be able to do my job and have to figure out how to do my job from home. And a lot of people asked me constantly if I was disappointed by that being my Miss America experience. And I cannot express how grateful I am that that is what my experience ended up being. It allowed me to manage my physical, emotional, um, and mental health in such a a more streamlined way. Um, The other part of the mental health with Miss America that's something I never really thought about, but should have is the public criticism that comes along with the job. I had been someone that has struggled with my mental health for probably my whole life, but more so since my teenage years. And I had gotten it really well under control. And I will tell you that the experience of being Miss America was a huge trigger for me because you're then opened up to this platform of having people be able to like berate you on the internet, like directly that people are not shy. They will say some really terrible things directly to you in a comment or in a message. And then you see people online just constantly like, it feels like they're criticizing you for every single thing that you do. And it's it's hard to overlook those and see the positive comments and the positive messages that you do get because everybody has an expectation of what they think that you should do and how you should do the job and what you should do and what you should look like and how you should act. And that was hard for me to adjust to because I think one of the reasons I've been successful in my life is because I'm really cognizant of how I make other people feel. I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job and making people feel excited and happy about the work that I'm doing. And I'm very, um, I don't want to, I want to say that I'm pretty empathetic to other people's feelings. I can tell when people aren't happy and I want to make everyone happy. And I know that that's not realistic all, all the time, but when you then put that on a huge scale, it's really hard to ignore. If you're already that person that cares a lot about what other people think, um, not necessarily of you, but when you're representing a historical organization and you're, you're miss America and you're trying to do the best job and, and, and you know, do this to the best of your ability and represent the organization. So it was hard for me, it really was. And I had to kind of take a step back a lot and say, does this really matter in the long run? Um, Is anyone really going to remember in 10 or 15 years, you know, if they liked my dress, no one cares, I don't care. But in the moment, it can be really it can be really overwhelming when people can be be so mean. Um, And so that was hard. And uh, going back to school has been kind of a blessing because I'm able to kind of go back to just worrying about um, how I'm performing on exams instead of worrying about what everyone else thinks.
2: (laughs) yeah no it it takes a lot of uh mental strength to be able to bypass those you can hear one time twice ten times um i can't speak from experience because i I, i'm not nowhere near where you're at but i think it does get to you so you have to be mentally emotionally strong which is great because you're going to always have that you're you're you know zoomed in on all the time so did you happen to have you know with your mental health challenges did you Um, see someone did you um, go to a psychiatrist how did you manage that what was the process if you if you want to share that with us yeah Um, and then I know uh, eventually you did the genetic testing yeah so can you walk us through how did you even find out
3: there was a thing or you know sure so I originally sought treatment for my mental health my freshman year of college, I, that was really when I went really downhill. So this this was way pre Miss America. This was probably six to 10 years ago. And I really could no longer function in the c- capacity that I wanted to. I could really not function much at all at that point because I was experiencing such severe anxiety and depression at that point that I felt so hopeless. And I just could not, I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. And I couldn't do any of the things that I needed to do. So I ended up coming home from my first college and, um, going to some psychiatrist and a psychologist. And I ended up getting prescribed a medication that I stayed on until literally this week. So that's quite an interesting story since 2000 and gosh, 14, I had been on the same medication. It really helped me in the beginning. Um, come out of the situation that I was in, along with psychotherapy, it helped me be able to figure out how to manage um, what I was feeling and the situations that I was facing, because especially like going to college for your first year can be a really stressful experience. Learning how to do things on your own, learning how to work through problems as a young adult, those are things that are stressful and I think forgotten about often. And eventually when I got through that and figured out how to work through difficult situations in my life and have better tools to be able to manage my emotions. I just kind of stayed on that medication because it was helping me and I just never was reevaluated, but it was really interesting because I went to, I have been to many doctors in the last year because my Ehlers-Danlos has been flaring really badly. And I've been experiencing a ton of chronic pain. And one of the doctors that I went to talked to me about pharmacogenomics testing. And I'm like, oh, I know about that. We learned about that in pharmacy school. So wait, you did learn about that in pharmacy school? Yes, I should have mentioned that. So we learned about that in our courses. I didn't learn a lot about that. We do. So we learn about, um, especially like in our, I would say like, classic example, like clopidogrel. So Plavix, you want to make sure that that person has whatever or want to know if they have the gene where they can use that drug effectively or not, or it's just not going to be effective for them. So we learn about like individual kind of mutations or things like that, that, you know, are going to affect efficacy of these drugs. We started to learn about it more in my pharmacokinetics class this past semester, and it's being integrated into our curriculum. So of course, like I knew about it, But they don't like we talk about these genes and we talk about the implications of the different um, genotypes for patient care. But we're never exposed to like how patients access that information or how providers can utilize that information. Like, what do you do? And having that provider with that, I went to say, hey, I'd like to do this pharmacogenomics testing. I didn't even know that it existed yet. Like I I didn't guess in my, in my mind, I was like, is this just a research thing? Like, do we use this in practice? I didn't have any, you know, reference of how this would actually be used in patient care. And he talked to me about how I was already on an SSRI. And so maybe this could help me better understand if that medicine was even working for me. I mean, I had been on it for so long, but was it actually doing anything at that point? Right. And then also as someone was chronic pain, being able to understand maybe the implications of my genetics in the way that I metabolize pain medications. And I said, Oh my gosh, of course I'd love to do this. You know, for my own interest, first of all, I I love genetics. I have a genetic disorder. I always want to learn more about the way that my body is going to, to change the way I experience life every day. Um, but also because I was quite literally on these medications and had struggled with mental health for so long. I'm like, what a perfect time to do this. And Getting the report, it was so interesting because literally the medication I had been on for 10 years was one of the ones that was listed as likely not being the most effective for me. And there were so many other options that could have been more effective. And I think maybe if I had that information when I originally had been seen, my entire experience with my mental health could have been different. And so we ended up changing my medication and i just changed it this week so i'm really excited to see if i'm going to have you know a better outcome um and i've done done really well for the past few years on the medication that i'm on and i wonder how much better i could do and how much better i could feel every day if i was on something that helped me even more and that was more effective and more personalized to the care that you know i need and so I'm so excited about pharmacogenetics and I think that, you know, it's going to be the future of pharmacy in so many ways. And I'm so glad that it's available now, especially in the mental health space, because the other thing I'll say is I've had so many friends who get put on a medication, you know, as a teenager or as a young adult and kind of like me stay on it forever or try so many different ones in the beginning to try to find something that works because the ones that they are starting on don't work and their entire lifetime is just like switching all these different, you know, SSRIs to SNRIs, just all these different things and trying to figure out what dosage and side effect profiles work for them. And this just makes it so much easier. Um, And I think that it's just going to, I hope that it's going to be the standard of care for people, it, especially in mental health.
2: Yeah, it, it will be. We don't know when, but I'm hoping and I think it's, it's coming. It's just a matter of time. I think that's where the clinical education comes into play because the more we have education behind it, the more we can push this forward so definitely it will be the standard care and what it does is really exactly what you said takes the trial and error process out so it shortens the time that people get kind of mentally more stable sooner because not you know you have you were I don't want to say blessed in a good or bad way but you were blessed to kind of have very limited symptoms maybe or you know it did impact your life I'm sure but some people go into you know chronic depression and suicide they go that route they lose jobs so it's really important to get those people quickly into the right medication sooner because it takes a while for them to work right yeah. so and you you never know which kind you're going to be so i i know may is mental health awareness day so which is really great that you're coming on sharing your story i i appreciate that because I know it, with COVID, everything has gotten worse. The access to a lot of mental health care is is kind of more difficult. Telehealth is really great for a lot of others, but maybe not so ideal for the elderly population where they actually cannot even use or have access to this technology. So, um, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your personal story. So I think I kind of go back a little bit as to um, I know you have your own business or starting your business working with kids or and then all the way to geriatric population. Is that related to kind of this whole educating about everything like science and genetics or what? what is that business you're working on? If you can tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so I have kind of two different projects that I work on. I do a lot of advocacy around medication safety and abuse prevention from pediatrics to geriatrics. That's my program called Mind Your Meds. And that's really an educational program that I do um, that I did as Miss America and that I will continue to do as a pharmacy student and you know beyond when I am a pharmacist. And I talk a lot about specifically with substance use disorders in that space and the opioid epidemic. So the opioid epidemic is something that's really hit hard, especially in my area. I'm local to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and now I'm in Virginia and especially Southwest Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains. It's just something that's really affected our communities and frankly, everywhere in the United States. It's a huge problem. Um, And it's something that I wanted to talk about on a national level. So that's that space. But I also do this really fun program called Her Royal Scientist, which is my way to do science education and enrichment for kids, especially across the country. And I just launched this really awesome science kit with COSI, which is um, the Columbus Science Center in Columbus, Ohio. And we do a lot of um, science experiential education with those kids. And so the point of this is my goal in all of what I do is to explain the relevance of science to the people that I meet how science affects the opioid epidemic and the science of substance use disorder. How does science affect our everyday lives? And um, you know, how is it going to change how we live our lives with environmental science, with um, development of new medications? I, I hope in every single experience that I have, that whether or not it's a child, an adult, um, a geriatric population patient, that they will understand the relevance of the science in every single thing that I get to do with them. And that's what I'm really passionate about, because that's what helped me focus on what I wanted out of, you know, my own education. It helped me decide that I wanted to do pharmacy. It helped me get through those tough classes to understand the relevance of what I was learning and why it was important. Um, So that's kind of what I'm doing, but I'm really excited. I will tell you about the royal scientist stuff that I'm doing now. And it's something that I have realized was really important since the time I was Miss America to be able to show a really strong female role model in science. And the program really helps girls realize that they can be a science princess. There is literally a crown involved with a beaker in it and, uh, allows them to kind of be, be that princess, but also be able to solve science problems and not have to choose between being super feminine and still being a science loving woman. And, uh, the kits that I've created have, uh, some demonstrations in them for the girls to do that include like chromatography paper flowers, which is one of my favorite. Um, and it's really for elementary school kids. And, uh, if anyone's listening and wants to purchase them for one of your, uh, little girl in your life, you can buy them at cosi.org kits. Um, it's an incredible project that I have wanted to do for a long time. And I've had such an incredible opportunity to be able to do with cosi in Columbus, Ohio.
2: Yeah, and if you can provide that with, uh, for me, I can put it in the show notes too, so people can click on it and Absolutely. go there. Please so, do. Yeah, because um, I know we have two little girls, so I can probably—I oh, mean, I, really I shouldn't say that. little, but you know, nine and eleven. I don't know if that's little or not. Oh,
3: but it's the right
2: age for it. <laughs> it is the right age. So is that so? Is that also genetic? Education in there? Are you incorporating some genetics in there? You know?
3: You know, there's not <laughs> genetics in the box, but I have done actually some. Might really, be a DNA kind of cube, kind of cool DNA thing. Well, I was gonna say one of the really fun videos that I did during my time as Miss America, which still lives on my YouTube channel is doing, um, making DNA with Twizzlers and colored marshmallows to talk about the importance of like the different nucleotides and how they pair with each other and how like a pairs with T and C pairs with G and what a gene is. And, you know, if I have blue eyes, I can use this sequence. And if I have brown eyes, I can use this sequence. And then it's something that you can eat. So I've gotten to do that demonstration. (laughs) I did not create your own DNA. I like it. Well, it really is a fun way to be able to kind of bring those concepts into a young child to say, did you know that you're like, what is DNA? Like, did you know that your DNA has a backbone and that it has these little tiny components that help to kind of spell out these genes? And I think just having that type of overview, even at a young age can start to imprint the importance of genetics and science and what that means to them from a younger age that I got that chance to be able to do that when I was a kid. And that helped me really understand what I liked and excited me and inspired me to want to take the career path that I did. And genetics has just always been something that I've been really interested in Despite the fact that it's not like directly my career, it does touch, of course, pharmacy and, and my life in so many ways that I'm always interested in learning more. So, yeah. yeah, if anyone wants to see the the DNA candy video, it's on my YouTube, so you can check it out. <laughs>
2: video. I'm just really happy to know that from where you came from, which is based your story, I wasn't there, but you were this, would you say shy or was you used a better term than shy, um, kind of not very social? Maybe I use the wrong word, but you. You've come so far, and you're actually putting yourself out there. So that that's just a really that's just really nice and amazing to me. That that that's awesome. I know you shared a lot, but I think that's the gist of the that that's a really important thing that you came from this little I call it shell. Excuse <laughs> me if I didn't call it well, no, but no, I like no. to call it a shell, shell, and then you blossom into this awesome person that you're very vulnerable, sharing your personal story, personal journey you know, and then trying to help and, uh, you know, use your platform again, like I said, really nicely. So I know I'm grateful, appreciative of you on the, on that. Um, so just to kind of circle it back since this is a PGX podcast, but everything you said is actually very relatable because science is really key and PGX is part of science. But um, how did, why do you think Uh, Or how can you maybe educate more peers around you, whether that's students or pharmacy students or, you know, your friends, neighbors, your doctors, things like that, since you have that platform to read more and educate themselves more about the topic of PGX so they can actually incorporate that in their practice if it's relevant to their patient. So how do you see yourself or maybe, um, doing that? Or where do you see the challenges are if you've seen it?
3: I will say that I have a really cool opportunity as a patient that sees a lot of doctors because of my chronic illness to be able to talk about it with my own providers. And I even had my own primary care provider want to start using PGX testing for her patients because she was able to see the value in what I got from ID genetics. And even beyond that, because that's kind of I can only do so much of that. Like being able to see my own doctors, I do use a lot of social media tools to be able to talk about my experiences, both with mental health and with my chronic disease. And that's been a really, you know, unique opportunity to be able to share this type of information. I have a lot of people that follow me that are either pharmacy students, medical. Yes, I am students. one. I yes, am one too. well, I, awesome. am, I am, and so that's a great place for me to be able to share that information and. For me, social media is a place where I'm able to share the things that I'm doing, but also I want to share things that are meaningful and important. And that's a place where I'm able to share that. Um, And so I'm, I will say throughout the advocacy that I have done, I always kind of carry those little tools with me of like, okay, this is what you can do to make this issue better. So like when I'm talking about, Hey, I've struggled with mental health for my whole life. Um, and if you want to do something to make a difference in this, here are the things that you can do. And incorporating PGX testing is absolutely now on my list of saying like, this is a tool that you can use to make a direct difference in your patient or in your own life and being able to help even patients understand the value of this information for their own healthcare and and provide them And empower them with information to be able to make decisions in their own care. And so that's really what I get to do having the type of platform that I do have, but then also with my fellow students being able to talk about it as a peer, because I think we learn a lot from our peers, um, in the workplace and in our careers. And so to be able to help be a peer educator for future pharmacists and other practitioners that I, I come across, that's something that I'm hoping to be able to do more of and that I I intend to do more of as I go through the rest of my education and into my career.
2: Oh, well, we appreciate that. And um, I know you've shared a lot with us, but um... What do you think, uh, what do you hope the audience listening to the show kind of one, your one key takeaway? I know there's a lot of key takeaways that they can uh, take away from the show from you. Like it could be a pharmacy student, it could be an organization's listening. We we have a lot of listeners. So what's the one thing you want them to take away from, from the show from you?
3: I will say I have always been out of the box since I was a very little kid right? I've always done things differently. I've lived my whole life doing things differently. And I think for a long time, I felt like that was bad, that I like should be like everybody else. And that I could like, obviously tell that I was different from the people around me, but that has been my biggest success, becoming an adult, becoming a student, being a future practitioner in the experience that I had as Miss America in the way that I go about my everyday life, not being afraid to be different and do things in a different way. Like not even just the way that I live my life, but the way that I solve problems and saying, okay, I'm going to do this differently than everyone else has done. And whether or not that's the way that you interact with patients and saying like, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to do a pharmacogenomics test. I'm going to try a different therapy. We're going to try something really innovative here as long as it's safe, which we obviously would check, um, but <laughs> not being afraid to take a different approach in whatever aspect of your life that is personally, professionally. Um, that's been something that I have always kind of been afraid of, but have now really embraced. And that's been a huge part of who I am in my story. And I think that that's kind of what has made me me throughout this time. Uh, yeah. and I'm grateful for that now
2: yeah and that's that's beautiful i you know that is i tell pharmacists we you know that that really is the gist of it uh very well said you gotta take yourself outside the comfort zone which is that box and kind of move and so that's just beautiful when i was listening to it i was like oh my god this is goosebumps goosebumps i got it i need to have this podcast you know the our girls listen to the podcast so they understand that you need to push yourself so the, well, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm grateful you came on the show. Um, I know you're very busy. I appreciate you coming on, uh, sharing again your personal story, um, putting it out there. Um, very grateful to you using your platform uh, the way you want to use it, but also educate others. Um, very grateful to you, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for
3: Hopefully having you me. Hopefully, it won't be
2: the last time.
3: Oh, absolutely not. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, well, thank you everyone for tuning in and make sure you don't miss any episodes. Don't forget to share this link so everyone can tune in and listen to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love to hear from you. Visit us on PGX4, the number 4RX.com to listen to all our episodes.
1: Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit PGX4RX.com. That's PGX4RX.com.